Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Italian Wine Podcast, as Wine to Wine 2020 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions chosen to highlight key themes and ideas and recorded during the two-day event held on November 23rd and 24th, 2020. Wine to Wine 2020 represented the first ever fully digital edition of the Business to Business Forum. Visit winetowine.net and make sure to attend future editions of Wine to Wine Business Forum. She founded her own media platform called Vino Joy News uh, with a singular focus to cover China's wine industry. And uh, it is now considered one of the most authoritative and trustworthy news website on the greater China regions on the wine market. So we're happy to have Natalie you here. Thank you so much, Alice, for your kind introduction. Um, first of all, I'm so honored to be here and sharing with everyone an update on China's wine market during and post-COVID pandemic, as well as how those impacts are translated into buyers' uh, buying behaviors. So without further ado, um, I will start my presentation now. A little bit introduction about myself, just briefly. Um, I'm Natalie Wong. I am a Chinese wine journalist, uh, born and raised in Hong Kong, and also founder of Vinojoy News, um, a website founded by me last year to cover exclusively and extensively about China's wine market. Today, I'm going to be talking about COVID's impacts on China's wine market and how those impacts affected consumers' buying behaviors. Um, first of all, this year, the buzzword we've been hearing is lockdown. Um, but in China, when we talk about lockdown, it's in the strictest sense. Um, you know, um, one household, um, household can only allow one person to go out once a day to purchase all the necessities. Unlike in Europe or in the US, where you have the luxury to go out and to do a lot of uh, tours in China, it's really strict. Um, in areas that um, are most affected by the pandemic, you're not even allowed to go out at all. There's a community officer who is um, on standby just to send all the necessities to you, to your door. So this is the context we're talking about when we want to understand COVID's impact on China. This is also the circumstance under which a lot of the business have to operate for three months from late January to April. So this is something I want to uh, want everyone who's listening in to bear in mind, to keep it in the back of your head, um, back of your mind to understand, you know, the COVID's impact. So first apart, I'm going to talk about COVID's impact on China's wine imports. So what happened to wine import? By the end of January, China had locked down the whole country. As a result, restaurants, hotels essentially closed. 
and miss the most important Chinese New Year sales. For anyone wondering um, how big and how important is Chinese New Year for a lot of wine merchants, a lot of the a lot of them who that I talked to told me um, Chinese New Year wine sales account for roughly twenty percent or even up to thirty percent of their annual sales. So imagine that seven day period was lost. Okay, and then imagine that period was extended for three months. So that's the challenge facing a lot of the importers in China. And of course, logistics were delayed because quickly the pandemic spread from China to the rest of the world. Even when China in May and June recovered from the pandemic, countries um, like France, Italy, and uh, you know, US were in the depth of the pandemic, so that affected global logistics as well. Okay, so we have the latest figures from the China Customs, and it showed import volume declined by thirty percent, thirty point eight percent to. 347 million liters. Import value declined roughly 30% as well to US 1.84 billion. This is quite significant because I want to draw attention to the fact that last year, China's one import value already declined. We saw roughly 10% drop in volume terms and 1% in value terms because of the economic slowdown and trade war between China and US. So the downturn we are seeing this year is you know, a continuation of what happened last year as well. So that you know, might have a projection for what is to expect and what's to come, right? Okay, so next one I am going to talk about because of the job in wine imports and how it affected merchants, consumers, and the price points that we're seeing on the shelves. Merchants, of course, when you have stocks that are meant to be depleted for Chinese New Year that are still sitting in the warehouse, what do you do? When you have uncertainties facing forward, you are becoming more cautious. You are becoming more cautious with your spending, what to buy, how to budget. That's natural response. A market exit. Suddenly, we're seeing a lot of merchants exiting the market. Unfortunately, one of the examples we've seen is from Jovial. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with Jovial. So basically, Jovial is a wine and agricultural importing company backed by the tech giant Nanovo five years ago. When it entered the market to start to import and distribute wines, it caused a lot of fanfare. And naturally, they had um, at its peak, I think, around 20 key brands, including the world's biggest um, organic winery, Emiliana, in, Ch in Chile, and also Jean-Pierre Moix's family's wine. But earlier this year, due to the pandemic, its general manager said they're suspending the wine business. This is not a small, you know, one-time importer. We're looking at, uh, you know, a company that actually has a, quite a scale. So that's the direct impact of the pandemic and profit cuts. Of course, a lot of uh, wineries and importers were having zero sales in February, uh, in particular. Um, consumers. 
when you have job uncertainties because of the pandemic, what are you going to do? You, you're becoming more cautious with your spending. You're cutting all the non-essential spendings. Unfortunately, wine is counted as non-essential, unlike, you know, maybe in France or Italy or in the U.S. Consumers, of course, they're trading down. If they are buying wines at all, they are, you know, uh, really budgeting what to buy, you know, what is the best value, what is the most affordable wine out in the market. This can be reaffirmed by the export uh, export data we just saw from Burgundy uh, from January to September. Export volume to China, Hong Kong dropped by roughly 30%, and in value terms dropped by roughly around 20%. And we see um, some increases in areas where it's a village appellation or Chablis, um, those kind of increases, but certainly Grand Cru, Premier Cru, in terms of red and whites, they're all decreasing. Um, Price-wise, wines priced under 100 RMB is the most popular category. Um, 100 RMB, that's about 15 US dollars. So what happened to on-trade and why on-trade matters? Like any other wine importers in, you know, in the world, in Europe or in the US, traditional ones are heavily dependent on on-trade, on restaurants and bars, on hotels. So when the pandemic happened, especially in China, where the strictness of the lockdown is so severe and so carefully scrutinized and enforced, restaurants and bars you know, were decimated during the pandemic. And China, we're talking about a country that has 10 million restaurants. Chinese New Year, like I said, completely shut. During the seven-day national holiday, dining sector alone lost 500 billion. That's 76 billion US dollars. Lockdown measure of various strictness were enforced from end of January to April, lasting three months. Even in some cases, restaurants were allowed to open but you can only do delivery service. Delivery service, it's good. It's a growth factor, but it can't make up for what's lost um, from in-dining um, you know, services. And uh, Heidi Lau, that's another example. Biggest restaurant chain in China lost $5 billion just during CNY period. Just to give you an idea of uh, the severity of on-trade. And unfortunately, among all the alcoholic beverage categories, wine was hit the hardest. This is not said by me. Um, this is actually coming from Wang Zuming, Secretary General of China Alcoholic Drinks Association, which is the official drinks um, association in China that regulates uh, anything related to alcohol in China. It's a very powerful um, organ. And he basically said home consumption for wine was essentially non-existent as it heavily relies on social consumption, such as restaurants. So the decline was the sharpest. But Wang stopped short um, before giving any figures uh, on the decline. But um, we can guess it's not a double, uh, it's not a single digit job. So having talked about on-trade, uh, the impact of COVID on-trade, now we're moving to what happened to off-trade sales. Of course, traditional channels are supermarkets, wine and spirits shops, they all seen jobs. 
But interestingly, there are two sectors that have seen tremendous growth. First one is e-commerce. E-commerce, of course, China is the biggest e-commerce market out in the world. And second one that is really emerged as the growth engine during the pandemic is live streaming. Later on, we're going to talk a little bit more about e-commerce and live streaming. Home consumption, unfortunately, like Wang said, it's essentially non-existent. Even if there is some form of home consumption in China, the reality is Baijiu accounts for roughly 90% of all beverage consumptions. So even if people are drinking, they are looking to Baijiu and then beer and then comes wine. So that's the hierarchy we're talking about. Okay. Next one, e-commerce. As I said before, e-commerce is mammoth area in China. E-commerce accounts for roughly 30% of wine sales now, according to IWSR. Tencent, the parent company of WeChat, has roughly 1.13 billion monthly active users. Tmall, the biggest e-commerce platform in China, has over 500 million users again. JD, the second biggest, has about over 400 million active monthly users. Douyin, of course, the Chinese version of TikTok, has 530 million users just in March. That's an increase of roughly 30% compared with uh, the same period last year, and its global users surpassed 800 million. So this, I, this data give you an idea of the scale of um, you know, e-commerce and social media in China. Wine consumption during COVID. Okay, so this is the tough part, and this is the tough part to digest for a lot of uh, people who are interested uh, in China's market. Wine consumption, unfortunately, the frequency is reduced. Consumers are trading down, as I said. Yunzhou Toudao, a Chinese um, drinks publication, um, did a survey uh, during the pandemic specifically to look at consumers' buying behaviors in February and March. They said 95.6% of respondents consumed alcoholic beverage during lockdown months of February and March. That's good news, right? But unfortunately, 84% of the respondents said they drank Baijiu, the Chinese spirit, while 40% opted for wine. Once again, Baijiu is their number one choice. This is another interesting factor. 79.47% of the respondents said they bought all the drink, all the alcoholic beverages before Chinese New Year. What does that mean? It means during the lockdown months in February, March, April, essentially just a small group of people were purchasing wines. People are consuming their old stocks. Why? Like I said earlier, people are cautious with spending with you have, when you have so many uncertainties. Unemployment was high and you don't know what's going to happen in the future. People are cautious and wine is not an essential spending. And only 14.07% said they purchased drinks online during COVID. Drinks. So once again, that you know, doesn't necessarily mean wine. Once again, you know, as I said, Baijiu, beer, wine, that's the hierarchy. Price categories, 
this affirms the trading down trend. Because when you look at it, it says um, if you essentially look at uh, what people spend under 200 RMB, that's the main category that constitutes the bulk of what people are spending. Again, that's trading down. McKinsey said um, they did a survey of uh, 2,500 consumers who,、um, and 30 of them said they cut down alcohol consumption and skincare products during the、uh, two-month. Period.、Um, earlier, I referenced live streaming, and now we're really gonna look at and dissect the growth engine for any alcoholic beverage or consumer goods at large during the pandemic. So Taobao Live, that's by far the biggest live streaming platform. They have 700 million monthly active users. This is actually old data. The Taobao Live,、um, they haven't released the latest data yet, but I assume during the pandemic,、um, it must have increased.、Um, the reason behind people using live streaming,、um, according to、um, KAWO's. Latest social media report released this year, forty-nine—that's、um, about half、um, of Chinese consumers—depend on KOL recommendations, and eighty-four percent trust online reviews by their peers. So this is the power. And also later, I'll talk about the conversion rate, and、um, you know that's why live streaming is so、um, convincing to consumers to in terms of making buying decisions. In February alone, number of newly opened live streaming merchants increased by wow, 719% over January on Tmall. Just Tmall, we're not even talking about JD, we're not talking about Guomei, those、um, platforms yet. So, who are the people engaging in live streaming? We're looking at KOLs,、um, key opinion leaders. Traditional celebrities, movie stars, singers—everyone is jumping on the bandwagon. Brand owners—that's actually a main group of people who are doing live streaming.、Um, winery owners, you know,、um, area managers, and the latest entrance. This is very surprising in China. Is local officials. Because when all the traditional stores, restaurants, shops were closed, they're the ones who are actually embracing this new trend, trying to revive the local economy. Previously, we have a、uh, Chinese President、uh, Xi Jinping and Chinese Premier Li Keqiang、uh, doing live streaming as well to help farmers sell their agricultural products. In the next slide,、um, we're going to look at why consumers and merchants favor live streaming.、Um, view to purchase conversion rate—that is really the key behind the growth, because that is really high. That seven to ten percent conversion rate. That means if you have ten. One hundred people tuning in to watch a live streaming session. At least seven people will place orders. While through traditional e-commerce、um, platforms, the conversion rate is normally around three percent. So we're looking at doubling and tripling that rate. And prior to January lockdown, average viewership for live streaming on leading e-commerce platforms is between five thousand、um, and seven thousand views. And in February, the number doubled to thirteen thousand and fifteen thousand 
by March, users' time spent on videos and live streaming had increased by 80%, which is understandable. When you can't go out, you can't socialize people, what do you do? You spend your time on your mobile, on your laptop, browsing and looking at things and hopefully placing orders. And now, having talked about the power of live streaming, we're now looking at who are the absolute superstars driving you know, live streaming in China. The number one personality is a woman, young woman, actually, in her early 30s called Via, Taobao's number one live streamer, queen of Taobao. Um, it's hard to believe, but she actually managed to sold a rocket launch service for uh, close to U.S. 7 million. And in you know one <laughs> live streaming section um, session, she sold. Uh, she helped Great Wall, a Chinese state-owned winery, to sell its zodiac-themed red wine. In one minute, one minute, she sold thirty thousand cases. I mean, that's incredible. If you're looking at any kind of sales volume from any kind of, uh, if you compare that to wine importers as well, I mean, that's that could be a medium-sized wine importer's annual sales already. Li Jiaqi, uh, only 27 years old, um, known as a king of lipsticks. So I'll let you guess from the slide which one is Li Jiaqi. Um, she, he managed to sell um, 15,000 lipsticks within just five minutes. And um, just I think it was one week before Chinese New Year. He sold 20,000 cases of Chinese state of once again, Great Wall's red wine, Beiwei 37 within 30 seconds. So those are the records we're looking at. And none of them are, as you have noticed, wine experts. They are basically just influencers, personalities who built a brand that has a credibility that people can trust. Uh, Luo Yonghao, a once indebted tech entrepreneur, now turned full-time influencer, made his debut in April. So that's, you know, um, when just when China was lifting um, lockdown. Sold 110 million worth of goods from razors to smartphone in just three hours. On May 8, he uh, started to sell in wine. That's his first trial. He sold 1.6 million RMB worth of wines from a Chinese wine brand called Cook in just one night. So how many people know those brands? None of us do. None of this are you know big international wine brands. And as you can see, all of those wines are pushing a Chinese wine. So that's a, you know, a preamble to what we are going to expect in, you know, um, in the months to come. Singles Day, of course, we can't talk about live streaming e-commerce without talking about Singles Day, which is the biggest online extravaganza um, that um, has been pioneered by Timor. So let's look at the report card. Um, Weiya, the biggest uh, live streamer from Taobao. So she sold, oh wow, she sold 1.1 billion in revenue just on the eve of Singles Day, attracting 820 million viewers. Li Jiaqi live streaming attracted 620 million views and 696 million in sales. Just one, just one night. 
So who are the so we talked about those mega stars online doing live streaming who are able to move millions and millions of bottles of wines. And now let's look at the top wine-focused live streamers. Um, Lady Penguin, of course, that's the first one that come to mind. Second one is Great Wall. This is a ranking actually done by a research company just looking at uh, views and click rate. So we have the, I listed out the top 10. Great Wall is the second treasury wine estate, massively popular in China, parent company of Penfolds, of course. And uh Zhong Yangguang, that's a Chinese um, you know, account. Um, once again, a few Chinese accounts, Yellowtail. Most of them, how so this is the challenge. I I challenge you to find out all the personalities and all those accounts and look into it. Give it a try, test it. Because live streaming is very different from watching a talk like what we're doing right now. You can interact. I can immediately see what are the questions. One time I tried one of the live streaming sessions on Taobao. I was just uh, casually browsing and trying to find a pink trousers. And what happened is, you know, I was uh, I saw someone doing live streaming and she was wearing green. So I asked, uh, you know, in the chat room, I said, well, do you, does it come in pink? And instantly the host who's doing the live streaming, yeah, we have, um, she responded and said, yeah, we have one audience asking, you know, does it have pink? Of course we have pink. And then they had the models trying on a pink to demonstrate you, you know, design and a cut. At the end of it, do I really need a pink trousers? Not necessarily, but uh, it's the engagement that sort of compelled me to uh, place the order in the end. But just to give you an example of how it's done. Um, the next one, um, having said how it's um, affecting the market, now I am going to offer a little bit of outlook, sort of give you an idea what to expect um, in the months to come. The first one is really good news. Dining sector is coming back. Dining sector is finally posting a positive growth in the month of October, which happened to be a Chinese uh, national holiday. Signaling entree sector is on track to recover. Second one, a little bit worrying from my perspective, more promotion for Chinese wines due to political and nationalistic reasons. Um, I don't know if you um, read our report published in April uh, when there was a national campaign to urge consumers to drink Chinese wine. Tagline is Chinese drink Chinese wine. Well, are you know, 1.5 billion people drink Chinese wine? You know, that's a question mark. But you can see where the trend or where that's heading. There is a conscious drive to encourage consumers to buy domestic products, which is in line with the self-reliance um, policy that's been hammering out by uh, Beijing at the moment. So this is something that people have to um, watch out for. Um, also, Xi Jinping, in the second photo, Chinese uh, president, made his first visit after the two sessions meeting, which is the most important political meeting in China, to Ningxia, China's premier wine growing region in northwestern part. Uh, and, um, you know, he made a big gesture to visit vineyards and visit a winery. 
well, it's a big move that can be interpreted as a solid backing for domestic wine industry. So we got, we're going to see more of that in the coming months for sure. And the third one to watch out or pay attention to is the current trade roads between China and Australia. The worsening relations between those two countries could significantly affect the country's landscape of the imported wine market because Australia at the moment accounts for 40% of um, you know, um, China's wine market. If that is taken out in any way, what can make up for the vacuum? So this is something we have to watch out and carefully see how it's going to evolve. Um, yeah, so basically these are the key three trends that I would uh, call people's attention to. Okay, um, yeah, any questions you can type in in the, uh, um, in the chat or direct the questions to Alice, and I'll be very happy to answer the questions. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Natalie. There are quite a, there are quite yeah, a few yeah, questions on the chat room. I just want to summarize very quick what you have said first. Um, so we got yeah, that it was a very good presentation. We heard about things might be, uh, but when we actually see the numbers, it is really wow. We didn't. We, now we yeah. understand the impact of what's going on. So we got that um, the among all the alcoholic beverages. Bai Jiu is mm -hmm. the one that's doing relatively much better and wine took the hardest hit. And seemingly the best uh, among all the wine categories in terms of price points, um, the ones that are around US $15 are doing yeah. um, in a better position. And secondly, even when people are drinking wines, they are largely drinking Chinese wines due to political mm -hmm. and um, nationalistic reasons. So my and my question for you is, since all these KOLs have such a huge yeah. influence on consumption patterns, uh, what can uh, importers learn from yeah. that? Because most of yeah. them, like you said, promote Chinese wines. What can importers learn from their... Well, what, I what think, the you know, that it's they do about so well? credibility. Because in China, you know, people are very concerned about food safety. And with COVID, people really want to, you know, pay more attention to health. And traditionally, because of the food safety scandals in China, you know, fish laced with melamine, you know, milk powder, people really want to, you know, rely on someone who tried the product who, you know, who's the same as them. And those people got their fame by reviewing products, doing tests, you know, on themselves. So people really trust whatever they're promoting. The fascinating thing about Li Jiaqi, because he became famous um, promoting lipstick, but later he completely branched out. Now he's selling everything from frying pans, you know, to sneakers, to tables, you know, to fans or lights, anything, wines. But people still buy it. It's because of those people's credibility. And like I said earlier, um, brand owners is another major group of those live streamers. So you actually have people, maybe a winery owner. I've seen a few winery um, brand ambassadors doing those kind of live streaming session with JD.com. Cynthia is the wine buyer there. They did a quite a few sessions. I think it's all about engagement, um, having a direct dialogue with people, um, you know, to share stories behind the wineries, um, you know, and just to share with people what's going on, how to handle the pandemic in the depth of it. Yeah. 
And does it usually require a middle person, you think, to connect the wineries to these um, consumers, or you it's is is happening mm. more often now that they can con- producers can reach um, to uh, yeah? To the, I think to the there are a few ways to do it. Um, either you have a four produ- four producers who already have like a Timo shop. You can register and become a live streamer, or you can work with your importer in China, right? Okay. And to, um, you know, schedule and plan those live sessions ahead, do promotion through WeChat. Okay. So it's really not just, uh, you know, one, one end, uh, you know, uh, mean. It's really a whole ecosystem of collaboration, um, e-commerce, okay. social media, WeChat, Xinlan Weibo, everything combined together. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, one of the questions we have on the floor is that uh, we talk about uh, live streaming. What about mm. um, any ideas uh, in terms of in- instead of doing a group live streaming? How about one-on-one streaming, especially if it's on more premium products? Um, that I haven't seen yet. Um, if it's one-on-one streaming, I would say that's more like a private tasting. Right. If I understand it more correctly, because the yeah. idea of live streaming is really to have a audience to share with, share with it. Right. So even if yeah. you are doing premium product, I don't see the downside of uh, broadcasting it to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who might not be able to afford it at this stage, but at least mm-hmm. get them to understand the brand stories behind it. I think that's the main downfall for a lot of wineries when they are looking at China. Oh, you know, it's like, I can't, you know, no one is going to buy it. Uh, you know, I'm spending so much time doing it. What's the, uh, you know, payoff? Um, you have to think about it. Although you can't even get the wines to China, maybe in the depth of the pandemic, but think about how you can communicate your stories to consumers. What are the stories that can resonate with consumers? Okay, they're not going to place an order immediately to buy a 2000 uh, RMB bottle of wine, but when they came back, that's going to be a wine they can reference back to when they're ready, right? So it's always about planting those little seeds, I think. Yeah, and I agree. If we talk about KOLs in influencing uh, consumption habits, usually it's on lifestyle changes, what's trendy, uh, what's in, but they probably won't know the stories uh, of individual wineries. If if there are premium products or super premium products to sell, it won't be as much on the lifestyle, but more the story and culture and background of these wines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, when I did a story about you know, those KOLs outselling a lot of wine importers, a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, it's a one-time sale thing. No one will follow up. But it's not up to those KOLs to establish your brand visibility. Right. What you have to, you have to work on the momentum. For instance, during one session, you sold 30,000 cases of wine. And then you have to build on the momentum. You have to have like social media. You have to have everything to follow up on those orders, right? And it's up right. to the winery to do that work. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now you mentioned food safety. So we have a, a question mm-hmm. from the floor as well. Yeah. What about natural wines? Since we talk about oh, people having concerns oh, of health. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's a very interesting trend. I would say um, maybe that's one thing I omitted from the presentation. Uh, very good question. Natural wine actually has emerged as the category that the country is pushing right now. Um, we just did a story about um, a, a China's foremost um, viticulturist. Um, he actually said natural wine is the future of wine <laughs> industry in China. Wow, <laughs> so that's, that's very 
<laughs> yeah, that's a very big statement. But once again, natural wine, like any other, you know, clean wine, um, the concept of what is natural wine? And uh, there is not a regulation or clear definition of what natural wine is. I mean, does the natural wine that he talked about match the same as the natural wine we talked about in France? So there is a, you know, there's that. Okay, but it's good to know that there is a potential, good potential for that. Yeah, definitely. And I see a lot of Chinese wineries in Ningxia or in Xinjiang going organic, going biodynamic as well. In Xinjiang, Yanqi, um, actually the whole town is um, devoted to organic viticulture. So that's quite encouraging. And we have uh, wineries like Silver Heights in Ningxia uh, going biodynamic. Um, Puchang, I think in Xinjiang, they actually got the EU organic certification. And um, a few different wines, like Yan's wine in Yunnan, uh, natural wine, he's making penna. So yeah. it's uh, very interesting. Okay. Now yeah. we have a couple more questions here. Switch, switching the different perspective, uh, yeah. since we talk about food safety and legality, uh, do you see less illegal import of premium wines because of COVID-19? And oh, yeah. if it is, what is the result of that? Oh, yeah, definitely less. <laughs> because, um, well... This is sort of like an open secret. A lot of wines imported, exported to Hong Kong eventually ended up um, on the mainland. But because the border was closed, right, even up till now, we still can't travel to mainland. So you can imagine how that has affected the illegal backwater way. We call a lot of um, coyotes. We, we have a special term for those people who carry, hand carry, you know, two bottles over, to China, that essentially stopped during the pandemic. Uh, yeah. Okay, so we have about maybe two, three more minutes, so we can try one or two more questions. Yeah, yeah, so, sorry. Uh, but as one of the things that we mentioned about Australia and, and mm. import wines, Australia used to take up such a big portion of import, and yeah. now with the, with the tension between the two countries, which country do you think is up next to not replace Australia but moving up? Uh, moving up, um, I think Chile. Chile. Uh, Chile. The only reason I'm saying it because, um, you know, um, in November there was a big fair in China. It's a China import, an international import ex ex um, fair in Shanghai. So it's a second edition and it's a state-backed um, fair. I see a lot of coverage from state media on Chilean wine. So mm -hmm. I sort of uh, picked it up as a signal to, you know, for Chilean producers. And Chile at the moment is the third um, biggest um, wine supplier for China. And in volume terms, it's even higher. It's the number one, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And um, other wines, I would say some really of the beaten track wines from Georgia or, you know, mm -hmm. um, along the Belt Road. So once again, okay. it's uh, you know it's a little bit political affiliated. Um, yeah. I would say so. Georgia, um, Azerbaijan, uh, all those point, all those uh, countries might see a little bit growth, but they're okay. tiny. Yeah. So no look for American wines, right? <laughs> American wines, unfortunately, <laughs> I have to ask. Um, yeah, <laughs> even before the trade war, um, the percentage is really tiny, less than three percent. Um, so with the trade war, with the tariffs, uh, which now is close to 100%, that's, you know, yeah. reduced it even further. So I would say 1% at the moment. 
All right. Yeah. So lastly, we since we are coming from an Italy platform, how about yeah. the chances for Italian wines? What can we do? Well, I think there's a lot of um, opportunities for Italian wines, and I see more promotions um, on Italian wine in China, especially the Vin Italy's uh, China Roadshow. I thought it was a you know, I'm seeing from as an outsider because I see the mm -hmm. photos and I see what people are talking. There was a lot of buzz. You mm -hmm. certainly see from the turnout, um, mm -hmm. people are, you know, eager to go back buying and drinking again. So okay. I think that's quite good. And more um, promotion maybe um, with the direct consumers. Because um, a lot of uh, in the previous, um, previously, when I talked to a lot of producers, they want their Italian wines to be sold in Italian restaurants. I think that's a mindset they have to, you know, step out because eventually you're selling your wines in a foreign market where majority of people are still consuming their local food, their, you know, Chinese food, different regions. So the best you can do is to convince those people to match their local cuisine right. with Italian wine, not just limiting your Italian wines to Italian food. Okay. Maybe that will expand the market. Okay. Yeah. And I see that since Infinitely International is doing so much work in promoting Italian wines in, in the country, yeah. hopefully with the consolidation of these efforts, it can promote it can produce a bigger force to run to run the Italian wine market in the area. Yeah, right. absolutely. Uh, so I think we're running out of time. Uh, but thank you, Natalie. Great. It was a really yeah, great thank you. We learned a lot. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. We have more exciting topics coming up for the, for the next today and tomorrow. So please stay tuned with us. Have a good Thanks, one. Everyone. Thanks, Thank everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Alice, as well. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Natalie. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.